Morning, family. Welcome this morning. Encourage you to grab your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a hard-backed black one nearby. Uh, If you can't quite reach it, tap somebody and ask them to give it to you. And if you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. Please, uh, please do take it and use it. And um, we'd love for you to do that. In fact, we just got two new cases of Bibles because we've given so many away, uh, which is which is great. We're going to be back in Ephesians. this morning. Praise God. Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, we're going to be reading together verses 1 through 21 together, but we're going to be hanging out in verses 1 and 2 this morning. Uh, should all things go according to plan, um, we will finish up um, Ephesians at the end of May and uh, we're making it right about exactly a two year journey together. Uh, walking through this book together. So I'm excited about that. Several new faces this morning, welcome. And uh, several who are out as well. I know that there are many who are ailing in the body. And so I encourage you to, to look around. If you see someone who's missing, uh, reach out to them this week. Care for them. See how you can serve them and love them in practical ways uh, this week and let them know that, that they were missed. Amen? We're going to be, begin reading in Ephesians 5. We're going to read through verse 21, and one small little piece of liturgy that we practice together is at the end of the reading of the Word. Uh, We say that this is the Word of the Lord, and invite you then to respond by saying, thanks be to God. Let's, Let's begin. Ephesians 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetousness, uh, that is, idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Because the days are evil, therefore do not be foolish, but understand that what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. 
So this morning we're going to be in verses 1 through 2, but as we journey through this passage, we'll read all of it together uh, prayerfully so that through the repetition of that word that it will begin to dwell in us richly. Amen? And so we're going to look at verses 1 and 2, and so I invite you just to kind of read those again. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so there, there it is, right at the very beginning of chapter 5, verse 1, that beautiful, beautiful word. Therefore, thank you. Whenever that therefore is in the text, what do we have to do? We have to ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore? What is it therefore? Truly, it would seem that verses 1 through 2 of chapter 5 should have been included at the end of chapter 4. Because that's what they are in reference to. Chapter 4, particularly beginning in verse 30, if you look back and read there, it'll say, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, Paul begins here in verse number 1. Notice as he starts out and says, Therefore, be imitators of God. Notice uh, actually in verse 32, let's look there first. It says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Notice the passive reception in the past. As God in Christ forgave you. In other words, it's done. In the words of Jesus on the cross, it is finished. Paul is reminding them, he's reminding us of the work of God in Christ for us and on our behalf, saying, don't forget, guys, he did it already. He already forgave you in Christ. It's done. And that means something. For you, Church, we do not need to do anything to earn from God the well done, good and faithful servant. We couldn't, even if we tried, even if we wanted to. Thank you, Macklemore. But here is the good news right up front this morning. Jesus did it. He did it. He earned the well done. And in the work of His redemption, He satisfied the wrath of God for all who will believe and be adopted into His family, into God's family. And they are forgiven, done, in the past, once for all time. Your sins, church, if you are in Christ, past, present, and future, are forgiven and covered under the blood of Jesus who is for you, the perfect and spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As Romans 5 verses 19 through 21 says, 
For as by one man's disobedience, excuse me, 19 through 21, not verse 9, I'm like, that's not what it says. Verse 19 through 21, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So if we look back at verse 32 of chapter 4 in Ephesians, looking at where it says forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you, we see that this is something that Christ has accomplished for us and in the past, and yet we are standing in that work presently. Commentating on verse 32 in chapter 4, Charles Hodge says, Because God in Christ hath freely forgiven you, this is the motive which should constrain us to forgive others. God's forgiveness toward us is free. It precedes even our repentance and is the cause of it. It is exercised notwithstanding the number, the enormity, and the long continuance of our transgressions. He forgives us far more than we can ever be called upon to forgive others. God forgives us, listen, in Christ. Out of Christ, He is, in virtue of His holiness and justice, a consuming fire. But in Him, in Christ, God is long-suffering, abundant in mercy, and ready to forgive. Praise God. And here, Hodge hits the nail on the head, the same nail that we've been pounding away out ever since almost two years ago we started the book of Ephesians because he speaks to us being either in or out of Christ. Paul has not left his original purpose of pointing us to our identity in Christ. Remember that every single one of us has a dominant narrative this story of our life that has informed us about our identity and we take that and we have it placed upon us and we begin to live out of who other people have said that we are. Or we buy into the culture of the kingdom of the world and we say we have to do in order to become something else. And what Paul has been pointing us to over and over again through the narrative of the gospel, we have received a new dominant story. A new dominant narrative that isn't wrapped up in who we are and what we can do or have done or might be able to do, but rather a narrative that is wrapped up in the nature, in the person, and in the work of Jesus Christ for us and on our behalf and how that we can be in Him resting in His finished work for us and on our behalf. Because church, if we are out of Christ, we have nothing to look forward to but the eternal, holy, and all-consuming fire of God's wrath. But, praise God, if we are 
in Christ, we find that the gavel has come down in legal justification. And yet we are not left there standing in the courtroom alone. It's not gavel comes down, justified, see ya. Rather, what happens? The God who is both just and the justifier brings the gavel down and he announces, he proclaims justification over the sinner. But then, because of the redeeming blood of Christ, God, as it were, takes off His judicial arraignment, lays aside the gavel, and comes down and embraces the sinner, saved by grace, and He embraces him as a son, leads and welcomes him into His home, and unites him with his new family, where he will live forevermore as a beloved child and co-heir with Christ. And this is exactly what Paul's focus is as we move into verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5. Therefore, he says, because of that, because of that redeeming work, because God in Christ has forgiven you, therefore, be imitators of God. As beloved children and walk in love as God, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Therefore, because God in Christ forgiven you, what's the next word? Be. Therefore, be. Now I know, I know. There's something here specific that Paul is calling us to be, but I want you to like hone in on that one word just for a second. That one little word, be. And understand that ultimately what Paul is calling us here to is to rest in who we have become because of what Christ has done. Be. Essentially, Paul is saying don't do primarily or firstly, but simply be, to be or not to be. That is the question that Paul is answering here. And he answers it and he says, be. There is a certain amount of passiveness in being. It is something that is happening, grounded in reality, rather than in some kind of activity. It is constant and unchanging because it is a truth about who we are. And as believers, our activity is meant to spring from and come from our identity. While the rest of the world, dead in trespasses and sins, aliens to God and to the covenant, are busy trying to do in order that they may become. We are called to rest in the doing or the work of Christ for us and on our behalf. We don't do in order to become something. Rather, we have already become something because of what Christ has done for us in the past. And this creates for us a new identity, a new identity that is in 
Christ instead of out. Once we were, Ephesians 2 says, but now we have become. Amen? Once we were, but now we have become, and not by any work or effort of our own, but by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 19 says it this way. Hopefully a familiar passage of Scripture for you. Paul, again writing here, he says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. What does that mean? We're not regarding each other according to the identity that we once had, according to the working of our own flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And it says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ... There it is again. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the ministry and the message of reconciliation. In Christ. There it is again. This new identity is in Christ. Now, instead of continuing in our old way or manner of life, what did chapter 4 start out with in Ephesians? I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Verse 17, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Paul is saying there was a way in which you once walked. Walk in that manner no longer. Walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling of your life. Why? Because you have become new. You're a new creation in Christ. Instead of continuing in our old way of life, our old manner of life trying to do in order to become, we rest in who we are in Christ and let our activity, let our doing flow from that place of being where we begin new lives fueled by a motivation that comes from what Christ has done for us and on our behalf, rather than from this inherent need to appease God or earn anything from Him. Church, in Christ, we are freed to obey Him and love Him and love others freely without fear of ruining our status with Him because we have not earned or merited it, but rather have received it as a gift of His glorious grace. Who God is, that's theology proper. And what God has done for us in Christ, that's Christology, informs who we are. That speaks to being and that's ecclesiology because who are we? We are the ecclesia. We are the called out ones of God. We are the church. And that reality, that reality of who we are, our identity in Christ because of who God is and what He's done for us in Him begins to inform what we should then do, which is missiology. 
the mission of the church. We, we want to know what we should do. What should we do? That begins to be informed first and foremost when we understand who God is and what he's done for us in Christ and what that means about who we are. Once we understand that, then doing flows freely from our being. Therefore, be, he says. And what identity does Paul primarily call us into here in Ephesians 5 verse 1? What does he say? Therefore, be imitators of God as what? Beloved children. What, what identity is Paul primarily calling us into here in verse 1? It's as the beloved children of God. Our identity is not simply justified or even forgiven, though those things are true about us in Christ. Rather, our identity is adopted. Adopted. Paul is yet again calling sinners forgiven and adopted by God in Christ by grace through faith to live in to their identities as sons and daughters of God. Church, who are the children, the sons and the daughters of God? John 1 verse 12. For as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons and the daughters of God. Verse 13, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Who are those who are the children of God? They're all those who believe. And remember, this book that we're going through, Ephesians, is not merely a book. What is it? It is a letter that Paul is writing to a specific people. And what information is Paul building this case on as he gets to verse 1 and he says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. It was in the opening part of his letter. In chapter 1, verses 3 through 10, what did he say? He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Listen to this. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He blessed us in the Beloved. In Him, we have redemption through His blood and for the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth, chosen, adopted, blessed, and redeemed all because of Christ. And through our unity with Him and our identity in Him, and from that place, from that place of identity as beloved children, Paul says, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. Now think about this for a second. Think about it. We don't have to do anything on purpose to act like our parents. It just happens. We imitate them without even thinking 
about it or even knowing it. In fact, some people who have never known their biological parents or families when reunited with them find that there are certain behavioral traits that have been passed down through that child even though they were never around their biological families. They were never there to learn or catch these things. It just happens because they are their kids. And that's what happens. My kids act like me because they are my kids. Now, I wish they would pick up on the more better parts of me than the worst. But suffice it to say, neither of us can help it. And as children of God, we are called to imitate our Father. But how do we know what He's like? How do we know who the Father is? Well, God, the only God who is with the Father, has revealed Him to us. Christ shows us. We look to our older brother. Jesus shows us what the Father is like. And here's the beautiful thing. For those who are in Christ, Romans 8 again, those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. The Father, we see the Father through Jesus. And the Spirit conforms us to the image of the Son who is in the likeness of of the Father, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. What can we say to these things? Paul continues. Church, by the Holy Spirit, we are being made more and more like Him, conformed into the image of Jesus Which should cause us then to what? What's the next part of verse 1? To walk in love. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. But notice right away what Paul does. And he's brilliant with this. And he does it over and over again throughout his letters. Because he doesn't just say walk in love. What does he say? He says he goes on. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is where we enter into the because, therefore. The because, therefore, of what it means to live in light of the gospel. Instead of doing to become, we are allowing our activity to spring out of who we have already been made to be. And this is what it looks like. Instead of saying, hey guys, hey guys, listen, if if you want to be blessed by God, you better love each other. Walk in love. Instead of saying, you know, if you really want to make God happy, you better love each other. Now, what what would that be? That's an if-then. That's law. If you want this from God, then you better do this. That's law. 
But Paul doesn't give us the law here. What does he give us? He gives us the gospel. Why? Because he's calling us to walk in love, not so that we can get anything from God, but rather because we've already received from God the very thing that our hearts need, which is Christ, who loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul saying, because God in Christ has loved you and forgiven you, therefore live in light of that and walk in love. Forgive one another. He says, because you have already been blessed by God in Christ, who loved you first and gave himself up for you, walk in love. Imitate him. It's who you are now. And church, our lives are meant to be marked by this because, therefore paradigm. It begins to influence how we make decisions and who and how and where we invest our lives. How we react to those who hurt us or spitefully use us. And we begin to operate from a new place that used to say, I'm going to do this or that so that I can become whatever it is that your heart is leaning on, resting on, being satisfied in instead of Christ right now. And rather, we begin to live from a different place that says, because God in Christ, and you can start filling in those blanks, right? Loved me, served me, cared for me, gave himself for me, forgave me, redeemed me, loved me. I mean, it goes on and on and on. Because God in Christ, and fill in the blank there, therefore, I'm going to, And now, do you see how who God is and what he's done for you in Christ begins to inform what we then should do? I mean, think about the unforgiving servant. Since that's kind of the theme that Paul's going here at the end of chapter 4. The unforgiving servant comes in before the king and he owes him an exponential amount of money that that is, is probably more than we can even wrap our minds around. And he goes before the king. He throws himself at the mercy of the king. In Jesus' parable, he begs him for forgiveness. And what does the king do? The unthinkable, the unfathomable, the scandalous. He forgives him all of his debt. And essentially, that wasn't just saying, you know what, let me just tear this up right here. Like, somebody has to pay, right? What what was happening there? What was happening is the king was saying, from my own storehouse... I will fill in the lack. I will pay the debt. And so the the servant walks out. I mean, you imagine like bursting through those doors? Boom! Woo! Like, I mean, I can't even imagine what that would be like. And he gets out the doors and what does he see? His eyes fall upon somebody who owes him five bucks. Maybe not even that much. And this man who has just been forgiven so much So much that there was no way that he was ever going to work it off. He was going to be thrown in prison. His wife and his children were going to be sold into slavery. Probably into more generations than even what was living at that time. I can't remember the word for that. Nobody? All right. It's all right. In uh, something. That one. Okay. Perpetuity. Thank you, Joel. Into perpetuity, all right? 
so much. And he walks out and he sees the guy who owes him just a minute amount of money. And he grabs him violently and tells him to pay what he owes. And the man begs and says, please, just a little more time. If you'll just be patient with me, I, I will pay. He says, no. And he has him and his family thrown into prison. It's wrong, right? I mean, even our common sensibilities should, should be rattled with that. He's not living in light of who he has become as the one who's been forgiven so much. Rather, he's still trying to earn and do and get for himself instead of resting in what has been done for him. This is what Paul's speaking to here. Because God in Christ has forgiven you, forgive one another. Because God in Christ has loved you, walk in love, love one another. Because God in Christ has served you, therefore serve one another, care for one another, bless one another, give to one another, mourn with one another, rejoice with one another. Because God in Christ has loved me, served me, gave himself for me, cared for me, shown me kindness, rescued me, forgiven me, and so much more. Therefore, what can we say? We together can say, therefore, I can imitate, love, serve, give, care, show kindness, love, forgive others. I can be like my father who made me his son and has welcomed me into his family and through Jesus has begun to show me what it looks like to be a part of his family. I mean, I love the unity of faith shown between Paul and John here. If you look at 1 John chapter 4, John now writing, and he says, Beloved, in verse 7, Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world, so that we might live, what does it say? Through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Spirit to be the Savior of the world. Father has sent His Son, excuse me, to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So, 
We have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Here, both Paul and John ground that love in the sacrifice of Jesus for us and in our place. What does John say here? A propitiatory sacrifice. That he is the propitiation, a propitiatory sacrifice, which means a complete and total wrath-absorbing sacrifice. Every bit of wrath. That you and I deserve poured out onto Christ and spiritually mystically by grace through faith we are placed into Christ who becomes the rock that clefts for you and for me. The preacher in Hebrews chapter 10, 11 through 25, speaks to this sacrifice as well. And as we near the time to approach the table this morning, I believe that it's fitting to turn our eyes here. In Hebrews 10, verse 11. He says, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which, what does it say, can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet, quoting from Psalm 110. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts. I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, what does it say? There is no longer any offerings for sin. Praise God. Therefore, brothers, there it is again. Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, 
but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So perfect, so total, and so complete that there is no longer any offerings for sin such that we can have full assurance of faith, hearts and consciences sprinkled clean by the blood and our bodies washed with pure water. Church, so then, therefore, let us love one another. Therefore, let us walk in love. Therefore, let us stir one another up to love and good works because together we have been made the people and the family and the children of God. Amen? Would you stand with me this morning as we pray? Father, this morning we have received one great, big, huge indicative and one very simple imperative. That because of what you have done for us in Christ, you have called us then, therefore, to walk in love. God, I wish it was so simple as it sounds, but our hearts, as we live in this body of flesh. God, our hearts continue to battle indwelling sin. We cling to hurts and past prejudices rather than surrendering them to You. And the amazing thing is that, God, in that moment, You don't withhold grace from us, but rather... Your love for us remains steadfast, faithful, and sure. God, may that truth this morning break our hearts. And may your gospel recreate them anew. So that we might leave this place today, God, changed and new because of your word. Empowered by your spirit to do what you have called us to do. Lord, as we leave this place today seeking to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, may we leave with confidence filled with faith that it is you who is working in us both to do and to will for your good pleasure. In Jesus' name, amen.